Hey, Morris, it's very good to see your face. How are you? Oh, always good to see you, Jason. How are you doing, buddy? I'm great. Good, I'm good. Now, this is a, a little later for you. We're starting this uh, because of our guests, uh, who will keep a mystery for the moment. Though, if people have pressed played on the podcast, they've they seen know. their name in the they've title. Seen the name. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like we should keep it a mystery. I don't know why. It makes it feel more like a real radio show. Like, <laughs> our guests are on the up. other side of the world. I've got the nice middle spot again. It's 6.22 p.m. here. Uh, and we normally kind of do this around mid-afternoon, my time. So it's what, there, 11, 11.30? It's 11.30 here right now. Yeah, 11.30. Wow. Yeah. Late night, Dave. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> You got that, got that bass in your voice. It's like, all right, call in with your problems. Let's I've go. Been, I've been talking all day, and I'm ready to talk a little more to you. Yeah, um, yeah. but it's worth it for our guests. It's worth it. It's oh, totally absolutely. Worth it. Shall we reveal? Because people probably haven't really they've just pressed play. They've eagerly downloaded and pressed play. They're like huge reveal. Yeah, it's gonna huge be, reveal. It's gonna blow their minds. Uh, <laughs> our guests are recording all the way from uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Yes, Laura and. It is. And I think it's going to be 8.30 in the morning there for them during this podcast. Yeah. So they'll be waking up. I'll be getting ready for bed. And you're <laughs> in the prime. So I'm expecting you to carry this whole conversation. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm at the time where my, my belly's gone. It's dinner time, baby. <laughs> is that what okay. it's like? Is that how it it's sounds? That's how my... Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm roughly translating. But uh, yeah, of course, of course. basically, that, that deep grumbly sound isn't my voice. It's, yeah. it's my belly. But anyway, our guests, uh, Lauren Gale, <laughs> are from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, well, yes. Gale's originally from France, but he now mm. lives in, in Amsterdam. And they just started a new theater company uh, called Flock Theater, which I'm really excited to talk to them about. And they're just two wonderful, incredibly thoughtful improvisers. They're always like philosophizing and writing incredible great things and teaching some wonderful cool stuff that i find so fascinating so i'm excited to talk to them about that yeah me too and they're uh they're married improvisers now as well they're, they're an improv power couple we met laura first in in amsterdam and then uh I, did we meet uh gail at this around about the same time same festival or different i, I didn't meet him until way later until he right, came right. to stay at my house so that yeah in my house they've stayed at my house too snaps Hello. <laughs> Bam. Yeah, they are world travelers. We should get into the show. I think uh, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> this is what happens when we record the intro before the guests have been interviewed because we just start rambling about how great they are. So enjoy this wonderful conversation that we're about to have with Laura and Gail. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's so good to see your faces. Yay. Yeah, so nice to have you here bright and early. Yeah, we're super happy to be here. Like you're the only two per, the two people able to wake us up that early. Uh, uh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, we did, we, we, there was a few email exchanges and we're like, oh, it is quite early for them. And then, and then we're like, we can do it. We could, we could get them over the line. <laughs> I mean, just to, to lower a little bit the, the panic over the people listening to us uh, quite early for us is 8.30. Yeah. We're not talking a 4 a.m. podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's Jason and I both have kids, so 8.30 is like, great, nice, can sleep in a little, that's perfect. <laughs> you have you have cat babies, uh, but I imagine they're quite happy with you in bed all curled up in uh, winter times. 
<laughs> well, they are not allowed in the bedroom, so oh, yeah, nice. so, so they definitely have a morning uh, request of like, this is enough <laughs> sleeping, get them yes. all out. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I've I've just recently, <laughs> I feel like this is important to let our listeners know. I've just recently been trying to change my sleeping habits, <laughs> so I've been trying to get up earlier. Uh, so that I can get more done early and then uh, huh. and then go to bed earlier. But I haven't ex- succeeded on the second part yet. So I've been getting up earlier, <laughs> but I haven't been going to bed earlier yet. So I'm like in this sort of dazed state for the last week where I'm like just exhausted <laughs> all the time. But I'm getting there. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Just so yeah. everybody knows what's going on. In my yeah. Life. How yeah. early are we talking? Seven in the morning. Okay, it's not that early. <laughs> <laughs> To us, it is. It is yeah. super to early. you, yeah. though. Come on, can yeah. you believe that? Seven in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. This morning we we woke up and there was not even light outside. Like what? What is this? Man. That's because I've got it all at the moment on the other side of the world. <laughs> you, yeah. you can have a little bit of it now as it sets over here. Mm-hmm. I've still got probably a couple of hours of daylight left here. So before this podcast turns uh-huh. into a discussion of how spherical the Earth is and how the sun hits different parts of it. Dave, I've told you before, the Earth is flat, okay? Uh-huh. I won't be told any different. But we have you here to talk about improvisation. the thing that And how love. flat the Earth is. Can we just get that straight as well, please? <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> get that straight. I see what you did there. Um but let's talk about you two, you two and, uh, and improv. You just started a theater company. Uh, I'm so excited. We've talked about it a little bit, but tell us more about this theater company. What's the company called? I know what it is, but tell the listeners. And, you know, what, what's, what's it all about? Yeah, we uh, created a company that is called Fluck Theater. Um, we created that in September here in Amsterdam when we came back from our semi-world tour. Um, and, uh, yeah, we we're basically producing shows, giving classes, trying to create a new community. So we live in a, in a neighborhood of Amsterdam that is um, without improv yet. Uh, it's in North. Um, most people in Amsterdam find it very far because it's on the other side of the river, even if we are literally like six minutes away from Central Station. Yeah, um, that seems strange to me because yeah, just, I, I've, I've met Laura over there and it was just a short ferry ride away. Like, isn't it like 10 minutes on the boat? Like no, it's four minutes. minutes on the boat. <laughs> yeah, four minutes. Two minutes if you even... take the other ferry. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, no. I would never take that ferry. I only take the one from Central. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, and, and so we, we wanted to create something here in Nord. Um, and so we give our classes like literally 100 meters from where we live in like a social uh, center where uh, they have like plenty of space and it's it's super nice uh, thing. And, and our aim is to try to do most of our activities here. We didn't find yet a theater here, but um, but we're giving the classes here because the, the crowd here is very diverse. It's like there is a lot of like immigration and people living in the in the neighborhood that are not super uh, integrated in the rest of the life of Amsterdam. So we would love to create a community that brings people from the center to realize that North is not that far and also <laughs> integrate a few uh, uh, people from, from here, from the, the neighborhood. Mm. Is that the way you called it flock? Um, 
Let, let's say yes, but no. Pa- that's party? <laughs> <laughs> because you want people to flock there and migrate uh, north for the... Let's say that no? when we chose the name, we liked the idea that it was carrying. Yes. Ah, ah yes. yes. So where is the name flock then from, if it's not from flocking to North Amsterdam? So we, while we were still on our world tour, we've uh, brainstormed a bunch of uh, names. And this is the one that we yeah kept coming back to for many because I guess because the 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 idea of birds and flocks and groups together uh, flying there's like there's so many layers that you can see in there that uh, that that's the one we we also there's so many fun wordplays you can do <laughs> with the word <laughs> flock mm, yeah uh, like like a flock theater yeah. That's a good one. I like that one. Subtle. <laughs> yeah, I went for the subtle one. I always start subtle, and then I get more closer to the obvious ones. Yeah. Um, well, I been... love the name. I love the name. Yeah, yeah I think it's and... beautiful. It's such a like it's been such a, a wild ride to start an improv company uh, in September, uh, and like mm-hmm. we went in and out of lockdown and different restrictions, but we also had shows. And we also uh, have managed to finish our semester. And now we have a really long break. <laughs> we'll see when, when we can do our second semester. Um, but it's, yeah, I feel like it's been a, a bit of a, a, a little ray of sunshine in, mm. uh, in, in, in what's otherwise a challenging time. Yeah. I think we, like, when we, when we thought about building our own company here while traveling were like we wanted to create something that was fitting us in terms of uh, philosophy of improv and of, of what we want to produce etc and um, and we had quite a few talks where we were like trying to figure out what that means how what is the form of that are we creating a company with a with a bunch of people we like uh, and we try to invite them to create a core are we uh, integrating a company that already exists there's quite a lot of improv in Amsterdam already um, but but none of the the companies already established are fitting exactly the style we wanted to hit in in improv and um, and so something that has been very decisive for us to create the company and the the form that is there is to visit you Dave uh, in in Victoria Me? Um me? Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, I think you were the the like you intervened at a moment where you crystallized everything that was floating in the air, and that was that, that was effect. really nice too. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like a freeze ray, <laughs> right? The ray doesn't freeze you; it causes the water around you to freeze, and like yeah. the moisture in the air to freeze. I don't know if it's beautiful or or not. It's a it's late here. I'm running out. <laughs> So you would, you you kind of skimmed over there, the, like your philosophy and then the style, and you you skipped to wanting to create a company around that. What is that philosophy fee and style that you've you've um, gravitated towards um, that you want to uh, that that has moved you to make a, a company? Yeah, like what were the crystals that I helped crystallize? But <laughs> <laughs> another. Uh... Yeah, I think um, wanting to make more theatrical improv. Uh-huh. Um, so there's a lot of uh, mm-hmm. more comedy aimed 
improv here in Amsterdam, um, doing something where we where we develop productions and we're not stuck to either one particular cast, one particular uh, style. Uh, so uh, seeing Dave direct different genres in Paper Street Theater, that was like sort of like a click moment for us. Like, ooh, we can like the the running theme is more like theatrical improv, but we can have so many different types of shows. Uh, and seeing that it's possible, um, seeing that like because we were also stuck like, oh, who would we invite? But they're also part of another group. And are you then like just like stealing players? <laughs> yes, uh, politics, yeah. politics, <laughs> right? Mm. Uh, we wanted to be nice and pot and like a, a theater company that that um, we th would like to think from abundance and not yeah. from like if we get the best players then we will like yeah. compete everyone away. Yeah. yeah, I think we like the two angles that that define us a little bit is is to try try and um, be expecting a lot from what we are doing i think we are we're both nerds and in in improv <laughs> and we want yeah. to yeah no in improv because jason and, and i are just both nerds we just both <laughs> nerds. Like, love Stop. star wars like, and in improv yeah <laughs> i think I, i'm i'm also a little bit of a nerd but like <laughs> the overlap with laura is like we're not in improv uh, <laughs> and uh and we really wanted to be able to like go deep into Asia. For instance, we work in genres now and, and go deep into a genre and do homework and have people, a cast that fits. And, um, and so be able to do that. And, and the good thing is that it's not offered in Amsterdam yet. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the um, Dutch speaking improv is, is either short form and mostly amateur or kind of like, Raw, raw and cringy um like <laughs> that's not our like judgment over yeah no it. it's yeah. sort of like it's a style of also movies and theater plays when where they like making the audience feel, feel uncomfortable right. oh okay yeah. make the audience they're trying to yeah. make us cringe yeah oh yeah no, no it's yeah. not not yeah, like no. it's just you're yeah. watching you're like, oh i'm cringing at this <laughs> yeah so, okay because there's a difference there's a difference yeah. And the and yeah and the English scene is uh, is uh, mostly boom and easy laughs that are aimed at comedy. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. mostly. Um, I mean, boom is very North American because they import players from there, and easy laughs is named easy laughs. So and they have also a lot of like native uh, expats. So yeah, and I think for me, uh, I come from. So I just moved from Strasbourg, and and in the last ten years, I've been creating uh, what used to be La Carpeaux in Strasbourg uh, with, with a bunch of people and it was uh, great. And we had like a core group of eight and then 10 and then 12. Um, and it has amazing upsides to have a, a big group in a group. And it also has uh, the downsides of, well, you're like stuck with these people, which means mm -hmm. that if you want to produce a show that fits only three people in the cast, the other seven will take it poorly to not be casted in that show, mm -hmm. or they will be casted and the show will take it poorly, <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is, is often what happens. And, and I think like 
my realization in Paper Street was to discover that it was possible to to have an authoritarian regime in the, the, way, the, the way a company works and still be healthy. Like still be There's like- a lot of people out there thinking that maybe I took that as an insult, but I didn't know <laughs> exactly how I- And it was a compliment. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly how I do it. I, I, I think it's good. It's like, this is what we're doing in this company. Yeah. If you want to do something else, go, please do it, but just don't do it in this company. Yeah. This is, we have a focus here, yeah. Yeah, so I think of it as a creative control, but authoritarian <laughs> regime, sure. Sure. <laughs> the oligarch of improv. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, uh, so because you're, you're pitching at a certain level and stuff, does that uh, affect the, uh, the type of stuff that you're teaching uh, as a part of, of the company? Or are you starting with general kind of a basic uh improv stuff uh or are you you kind of shaping improvisers through your first course at least i know you're still waiting for your second with 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 that kind of stuff in mind um so when you're teaching how does that kind of differ from from more standard stuff i think like what is sure is that anyone teaching is teaching their own style right the basic stuff of improv for one person and for the other is different um and definitely we have a style that is much closer to improvised theater than improv comedy in general Mm -hmm. which means that when i teach beginners i definitely focus on on plenty of things that other teacher would find either weird advanced or like in another sphere and vice versa i i i tend to not teach games at all for my beginners for instance yeah um except when it's a class that I share with other teachers and that we say, oh, let's teach them games. But if not, I, I tend to not teach them that at all. Um, Why is so that? Yeah, I think, I think our first classes are, like the, the offer of the first semester was pretty shaped by, by what we wanted to do. So we have like a beginner's class in Dutch in Amsterdam, especially in Amsterdam. Like Laura is also teaching in Dutch in Hilversum, which is like a city 20 kilometers away. Um, yeah, and, out near and, Utrecht. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good geography of the Netherlands. Yeah. Or was it the only other city you knew in the Netherlands? <laughs> oh, it's like it's next, not in the direction. Yeah. I can just tell you where the one coffee shop that I enjoy is. It, and, and it's actually serves coffee, not a coffee shop, as in the Amsterdam coffee shops. Mm, you mean, yeah, a cafe. Yeah. A cafe. <laughs> <laughs> it's very confusing that coffee shops are not really selling coffee. No. Yeah. The first time I was in Amsterdam, I was like, cool, coffee shop sell yeah. weed. And then the second time I was like, fuck, I just want to get a coffee. What is this shit? I don't do that anymore. I'm too old. I just need a coffee. Um, yeah, uh, anyway, sorry. Continue. Continue talking about your yeah, teaching. I think actually philosophy. in my beginner's classes, I, I do teach games because they, they're like, it's so much I find it the the way to teach particular concepts so much easier, but and like not, I don't teach games for the sake of this is what we're going to put on stage at some point. Yeah. So like, oh, it's just an easy way to step. Like, for instance, if someone wants to have a lot of, I don't know, like, let's say control in a scene, like doing a word at a time, like it, it shows it so quickly. It's like, you cannot have control in a game like that. So I think it like fits 
amazingly a purpose that I would like to get people. Yeah. First beginners acquainted. Yeah, I do. With. I do like my level one class. I do very few game games, like performing games. It's all just like philosophy and like like the concepts <laughs> and like fun little silly warm-up games to loosen people up and teach them like all that's very and then the last day we start doing some scenes and it's like a very short intro course and then get level two is games like it's just like it was scenes and games that's all we do and then we never do it again <laughs> and we yeah. just do from that point on it's just like advanced scene work stuff and subtext things and like you know all that stuff and then long form things and different formats and stuff uh, and to the point that some of my master class students who never did level two, because they were coming from somewhere where they'd already done a little improv and they just kind of jumped ahead, have never played some of these games. So if we're ever <laughs> like, all right, yeah, well, let's just do a quick little, I don't know, pillars or a word machine or, you know, line pickup or something. And they're like, I've never played any of those games. Dave. Like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, so here's how it works. And then teaching all of a sudden because yeah i don't uh, yeah but i feel it's an important part of teaching i think i agree with laura there that, that yeah. like you need to know those games at some point because yeah. they they're such a foundational part of thing is like i think I, I use some like uh as mean to other exercises mm-hmm. or uh as you as you described to to make a point or like show something or like highlight something that is happening and and like it's not out of it's not out of judgment that I don't do them because sure, I can sound yeah. like that sometimes. People are like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just like, yeah. Um, no, it's it's more like I I I don't have fun doing these, so yeah. I I don't want. And teach. also, the other clue is every time you say short form, you spit on the ground and bite your thumb. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> so this is no, a, not, this is a short form game. <laughs> <laughs> I do not mean to disrespect it because it's from the school of short form. I kid, Dunstall. I joke. I kid, I'm pushing your buttons. <laughs> I now, sound now terrible you both, now. Yeah. <laughs> no, people are the same. Like I, I, I've started uh, teaching back this year, and and to my surprise, because I just kind of change it up and and go with the flow often. But to my surprise, with a bunch of I hadn't had like straight up newbies for ages um and uh, and and i found myself focusing on uh on narrative skills on story skills on understanding who the protagonist is and understanding whose story it is and how you can serve that story to give people a sense of 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 direction with with the um with the work that they're doing so uh rather than kind of just throwing them in through uh through games and stuff like that because I, I I've uh, had the lucky enough experience where most of the classes, most of the people in in the classes that I've had thus far, uh, haven't need to kind of had that that need to shake them up and shake them open. They've been very willing to jump in. So I've found that I've skipped a, a bunch of the basic air quote stuff that that I'd normally do with with stuff and jump straight into finding the context of the story, the relationship of the characters early on. And it gives them a, a, a nice clear focus that that the, they'll throw themselves at a lot more willingly than just kind of doing a, a, 
you know a, a two minute game and go was that okay um and so that's been that's been really nice uh, and rewarding actually like um and uh, when i was taught in pro and a lot of the course structures that i was in all that sort of stuff would come second year third year um but i've found that that uh because everyone understands story so instinctually that uh, unpacking improv through the prism of how they understand stories has given people a, a nice kind of handrail in into stuff and into taking risks on the stage. It's been it's been really nice. <laughs> cool. You ever do that thing? Uh, I do this thing all the time, admitting it. Okay, I hope none of my students are listening. <laughs> where I'm just on like a kick, like I'm like well, I like this exercise, and then I teach it to my like beginner class, and then next I teach it to my like more advanced <laughs> class, and then. As I teach it to my master class students and it's the same exercise but it's like yeah this is you know it's a new exercise <laughs> and it's like everybody and everyone still needs to learn stuff yeah. from it and it works in every level it's not like certain exercises are only beginners. Yeah. Um, and so I'll do it for like that whole week it's like all I'm doing is the <laughs> same sometimes even like the same workshop like it's just the same thing <laughs> for all levels and they all get a lot out of it and it works because like uh, I, but i think what you're saying is great this idea that like teaching those story skills early yeah, yeah. of course that's a great idea yeah. i love it but you have to revise it and that's something that yeah i think is lacking in improv sometimes it's like people doing improv they're like oh i know that exercise i've done it three years ago we can have something else yeah and you're like well actually like reps helps like yes. when you go to the gym you're not like oh i've run on that we've already lost half thing the already. improvisers I right there it. go to the gym what <laughs> <laughs> no i don't go to the gym, gym but Libby, like... i don't want to go there Ooh, uh, um... <laughs> yeah i get it yeah yeah because uh, yeah. oftentimes they they think they've learned again something because they've done it once or twice and and they never come back to it and that's actually and i uh, encourage our listeners to to do this is you know jam with your friends and when you're jamming with your friends select someone who's going to run that workshop so because you you just going back over that stuff it's a real gift for me, the improv teacher, to be constantly going over the basics, it reinforces it for me and gets my reps up um, and and keeps me in the zone. But I, yeah, I think anyone just starting out and you know you've got a group of friends and you want to jam or you, you, even your students takes some more time to jam with those students that you're with and 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 choose the person to run that particular jam that you're going to get together. So you have to put some thought into the shape of things the way they want to teach it, the way they want to communicate it. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a really great idea. The first few times I did online workshops, uh, I would tell people like the, if you made notes, please like run this exact workshop with your own group again. Like you've already seen me teach it. Uh, and like you say, Jason, it's like such a great opportunity to practice kind of teaching like because it's yeah. your own group and you you already got the 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 notes you made from this the teacher that you invited how about you now like figure it out yourself it's such a a great learning uh opportunity uh and yeah maybe you're like i don't even know why this teacher did this exercise and now we're doing it ourselves and it's uh, it's total crap which is great <laughs> like if you discover that you're like hmm i wonder why the teacher wanted this or maybe yeah. we'll do it more it gets better mm -hmm. all of that is really fun and interesting 
Yeah, like I, I taught high school improv for years through the Canadian Improv Games. So I've taught mm -hmm. like hundreds and hundreds of workshops to just random groups of high school kids that like just walk in. All right, let's do this. And so I've played the game Zoom <laughs> a lot. And I don't mean like Zoom means, but like, you know, like zip, zap, yep. zop, but just the word Zoom. And zoom, you're just zoom, like yep. Zoom, Zoom, Zoom around, around the circle. That's all it is. Uh, and I'm so good <laughs> at that game. It's un. It's not okay. How good I am so, at that game? Like someone, someone moves their hands in my direction, and I'm like zoom. I'm already passing, and they're like, "How did you do?" Like it blows he their breaks minds. the sound barrier. And it's one of those. <laughs> yeah, but it it does. It's like the whole game sounds like this, right? And it's over because everything happened at the same time. Um, but like uh, playing Zoom, like but it's one of those things that uh, I, I taught it so much that I got good at it. And it's one of those weird things where you see somebody good at a warm-up game and you're like, Oh, you can get good at that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought it was like meant to, to challenge you always. It's like, no, you can get good at it and then move on to another exercise. Like, you think like I've mastered bibbity bibbity bop. <laughs> uh, and it's like, no, you haven't. You can keep working on those. And things. we've all met those improvisers that get again. good at the game and then stop learning new things like i think the key thing that you said there dave is like it, you've mastered it move on you know there were there were yeah. the road uh and i'm sure you'll all agree the road as as uh people who've been practicing for over kind of 15 years the road of our past is littered with people who've just kind of plateaued out and and yeah. and stopped challenging themselves or or moving on and saying all right what's next they they get very good at one thing and they yeah. can make a lot of money from that one thing as well but it's it they just kind of plateau out at that thing mm. It's funny. It's like people that are like really good at a performance game that they do well at, but then they don't want to do any of those warm up games they've already done before. Yeah. And it's like, that's a weird paradox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, the two of you Whoa. are some Whoa. of the most playful players I've seen on stage. Um, <laughs> you're a joy to watch and a joy to play with, uh, and particularly with physicality as well. Um, what's your philosophy of playfulness, bringing that to the stage? How does that work in and, and how is that important to you? Oh, what a, no, thank you, by the way. That's great. <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, it's, I find th for me that I became more playful when I let go a little bit more. So like playfulness is something you can like squeeze out of you as much. The more I try to be funny or playful or like other people, like the, the worst I became. Uh, and then I started playing with people that I liked better and that I felt more safe with. And uh, <laughs> like I started inviting, instead of them inviting me, I started inviting other people. Uh, and that was a great way to discover like, ooh, when I feel safe and when I feel seen and heard and like literally this thing, this quote I've been hearing all my, my improv life about let's treat each other as geniuses. Uh, and poets and something. I forgot the last part. Poets um, and geniuses. I think that's, that's okay. sounds good. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like that's actually what happened. Like, wait, I I was never really treated as a genius until I started playing with this guy or started playing with some of my my other friends. Uh, <laughs> yes, this guy. Um, and that's that has been really a a way for me to to just lean in who I already am. So I'm not mm -hmm. trying to be more physical, but the safer I feel and the 
the more relaxed I am, I become more physical because I will feel less pressure to <laughs> to be verbal. <laughs> As a cat walks right over your keyboard <laughs> and starts <laughs> writing a novel on your computer. Cool. Yeah. That's beautiful. And the thing in there that makes my heart sing is it's the moment that you let go trying to be like other people, like other improvisers, because I think it's really easy for someone starting out to see someone they enjoy and want to try to emulate the way that they perform or the way that they play. And that may inform the way that you play. And I've, I've got people who I've looked up to and stuff like that, but it wasn't really until I had the confidence to be myself that, that, that platform that, that, that built allowed me to kind of springboard off of. So yeah, it's like just stopping trying to be, other people the people who you think are great or good and starting to find your own identity is is such a wonderful thing also like i think when you have the feeling that the player you are at least for me i like because we 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 found each other and um in in improv and became more playful with each other but separately we i think we're already playful in our own uh style or with our own history Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've I've gr- grown a a playfulness with uh, the people from uh, ANP uh, Dan and Cedric especially um, with whom I like I think I'm I'm like the most playful with either our duo or when we have a good musician or uh, or with uh, Dan and Cedric <laughs> uh, and I think like the the, the this like the common thing of these two is that I feel I feel like valued for who I am and I can feel the connection between the humans and it let me like that connection between humans is is something that I need to do good improv and and I feel seen in the offers I give and when I say offer like it's, it can be just moving my arm. It can be not even realizing that I'm doing something, but they will pick it up and do something with that. It sounds super basic, but like I've been in so many shows, especially teacher shows in festival, where everyone is trying to just play their own game and, and, and that's it. And, and something that I mm-hmm. realize now thinking about it is super important for me is kindness, like the feeling mm-hmm. of kindness. Um, between the people that are on stage uh, because if, if I'm around people that are kind, I, I feel like I'm, I'm good. I'm safe. And that is the best way for me to be, to be playful. Yeah. Sounds yeah. so basic. When well, I'm around nice people, I, I could do safe. great work. Wow, yeah. Interesting. But it's actually weird. missing yeah. sometimes. Uh, no, but it's so like, true. It's just yeah. like, it is. Yeah. I mean, the other way to not be playful is to feel responsible, to feel like, in, in general, in my life, I'm not playful when I feel responsible about things. And um, if I feel like I need to take care of things, that's 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 a little blocking me sometimes. Um, but definitely kindness is, is the bigger inhibitor of my playfulness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what's that? What's that thing about like... Um... It's not about trying to raise your high bar. It's about trying to raise your low bar. You know what I mean? Like so that, like when you're improvising, it's not about trying to make it so your 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 roof ceiling is higher, but that the 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 floor, like so your bad shows are never as bad 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm on a tangent. <laughs> but it's like when you're when you walk on stage with somebody and you look at them and you're like, oh, this is going to be okay. This is going to yeah. be fine. It might not be our best show, but you're not going to like drop me and put me down and destroy <laughs> everything. Like we've raised the low bar to a point where like it's always going to be here and then hopefully we can get higher. But yeah, did that make sense? Yes. Very I'll much cut the whole thing out. <laughs> Don't do that. It's <laughs> fine. Uh, I just wanted to double back on something though about when you were, Jace, when you were talking about um, when you let go of impressing other people, mm -hmm. I think, or Ilara, when you said that you started impressing like yourself. Did you find that that was the exact moment that people started inviting you to perform with them more? Was that the moment? Like when you stopped trying to impress everybody and you're like, I'm going to just do this thing. And then did you find that people were finally like, hey, you should come perform in this show now. Like, you, you, was that the moment or can you not, maybe you can't pinpoint yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm afraid that <clears throat> as much as I want to say, that it, it would sound so inspirational if it, if it <laughs> would be like that. When I became myself, people believed. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, life is, is messy and, uh, and it didn't go like that. Uh, I don't remember <laughs> it like that. Uh, I think uh, I, I already got invited before I believed I was worth it. Yeah. And that was so every time I'm like, wow, this person is really doing me a favor into like inviting me to this festival or like, whoa, they must not have had a lot of applications to pick me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then go like, I'm just going to show up and pretend because and then through that, uh, you know, you build confidence and you're like, whoa, I didn't mess up as much as I thought I would. Um, and the more I. I did. I had those experiences of faking it until I made it. Um, the more I felt like, wait, a, hold on, that show was was uh, was good, and I felt like I was being myself. Those two can apparently happen at the same time. Um, <laughs> so I think it went, yeah. went a little bit more like that. But I think uh, I think that kind of imposter syndrome. I, I I have that a lot as well. Like even when when I'm traveling or or or, or kind of you know going from place to place now you guys have had the absolute joy of traveling the world together and teaching improv what did you learn from doing that both uh about each other about improv uh, uh what did you take away wow <laughs> i know uh, it's early morning these are deep questions it's fine <laughs> no, 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 no. uh i think like it was it was a a privilege to be able to travel in so many diff very different communities mm -hmm. like the world tour gave us the time and 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 the the space to discover the communities the local communities for what they were which were local communities because mm -hmm. like we've both both been traveling a bunch into festivals and you're like going to Finland to a festival and going to Bulgaria to a festival, going to Canada to a festival or whatever. And what you find there is very often an international crowd and also like local improvisers that go to international events, um, which means that already they're all a little more like to get like each other. Um and and going to places with like during the tour we've been mostly going to local uh communities we we've been traveling mostly outside of festivals we've done a, mm -hmm. a few but the rest was mostly in in like small groups we had one contact and we were teaching a few workshops and making a show etc and um 
And that really gave us much more diversity in, in the style of people, but also in the style of improv and, um, and discovering that like the real Finland of Finland or the like, the like going to India and traveling for three weeks in, in three different cities, discovering the local community. Um, and, and then like two months later, have them all over the, the online improv was such a privilege and a joy to find like, oh, I actually have spent time with these people in their own community, with their own style, with their own wishes and wills. Um, and I felt very enriched by that. I felt mm -hmm. very inspired and and recharged also to be like, oh, there are so many different things in improv. Yeah. And 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 all of them are valid and that's that feels good because I can feel like like an oddball sometimes. And so seeing other people very different from me and being awesome, I'm like, oh yeah, we're all different. And we are awesome. <laughs> like that's okay. <laughs> There's a banner there. We're all different, and we're all awesome. We're awesome. <laughs> we're all different. We're awesome. Yeah. When you came to Canada, I think I took you to Salt Spring Island to yeah. teach a small group of improvisers at this local high school, and they were they were like so stoked to have you there. And you did such a great job. And weren't they wonderful? They were just wonderful, weren't they? <laughs> you probably remember them. They're, they're amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, and so it was so cool to see you to on like this tiny little island off of my little island in Canada, like such a weird place to take you to do an improv workshop. But like, I'm so glad you got to experience it. And to see you there, I was like, this is weird. Um, yeah, but it was, I, yeah. And I got to say, also, I love watching both of you teach. I think you're both uh, um, prolific. Can I use that word? Prolific teachers. I'm going to say that. Uh, you two are both prolific improv teachers. Like watching you teach, I, every time I have done a workshop or been in a room while you were teaching a workshop, I have stolen exercises from you. <laughs> every single time. I don't think I've ever been near you teaching where I go, oh, I'm going to take that. It's a great way to do a nice little character variant I'm going to take. Like um, even that, I don't know, you probably don't remember this, Laura. I'm going to tell everybody about this exercise and they're going to do it. It was the simplest little exercise where you just got people to walk around. And then you describe some characters or relationships, some relationships between characters. And then we would lock eyes with someone. We'd walk over to them. And then we would do a scene with that relationship that you set up for us. And I use that still to this day. Every, like, with, with uh, relationship classes. I always use it as, like, a nice intro to relationships. And I even use the first example you gave as my first example. I stole it. I totally <laughs> just stole the first example you gave. Do you remember? Do you still do that exercise ever? Uh oh, I I don't. I'm going to tell you what it is, and then you tell me yeah. if you remember doing it. You yeah. said the the setup was that you're divorced, but you share a dog. Oh yes. And so you're meeting to exchange the dog at like a park, uh, like you know your weekly dog exchange. And I use that example for it because it's a perfect lead into like relationships and and emotions and different feelings towards and it's like a one and it, i put people into it and then i just start riffing on it but it's like a, I, I stole that stole that That's line so right fun. from your mouth 
Yeah. No, right from your mouth. Yesterday, I taught a workshop and I used an exercise I stole from you, Jason. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I stole I it from Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as I like credited you, oh, uh, cool. I was like, oh, that's funny. I'm going to I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. Uh, it's the the mono, the rent exercise of I guess. this is what I think of. And uh, I translated that into Dutch and people were like, like basically complimenting me what a great exercise it was. Like, <laughs> really great. Thanks. I, was, yeah, uh, I made that up. I made that one up. <laughs> <laughs> but I always I, I always credit people if I'm doing someone's exercise. Like I'm very thorough about that. But what I was going to say is, and this sounds, uh, I don't know, a bit douchey to, to say, but it's like, I think I've forgotten more exercises than I remember like over the journey, like if I had a filled books with absolutely everything I'd done, I'd be going back through books going, oh, that was a great one. Why am I not doing that anymore? Um, but yeah, I think over the journey, there's stuff I've, I've tried and loved and it's just kind of gone into the gray fog of my memory. Yeah, I love stumbling back upon exercises again yeah. while I'm teaching and I'm like in the middle of teaching something and I'm like, they're doing it. I'm like, I mean, I need something else here. Like I'm trying to like think of how I can get them to this certain place. And I'm like, what if I did something like, oh, wait, oh, yeah, I've done that before. Hold on. <laughs> and then I get everyone to do it suddenly as if like, like the, the need, revelation, the need, I reached deep into the abyss of my mind and found yeah. this exercise I knew and it worked perfectly. <laughs> so sometimes you'll, you'll stumble upon them. You'll see, man. You'll be, yeah. there and you'll be like, oh, yeah, zip, zap, zop. Zop. <laughs> we got a new game. Yeah. The, the two of us are like, we love note-taking so both of us we we write everything down uh that also means that we can actually like go back into our notebooks and go like ah right i remember like six years ago i was in that workshop uh, i will say that I, I feel like i've been very optimistic six years ago how much explanation i needed uh, <laughs> but, yeah. which uh to me is also a great source of inspiration sometimes i like stumble stumble upon like an exercise that I took in a random workshop years ago and the explanation are not enough at all. Yeah. But I'm like, it's, it's just enough to sparkle something and yeah. then make my own exercise. On it. Yeah. It's, it's like you've pictures. written down uh, two words, bounce a plus B uh, scene, <laughs> then finish. Like that's, that's <laughs> what you've written down. You're like, what the fuck is that <laughs> exercise? Bounce. What did I do? What was bounce a word? Like I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's pounce. It might be pounce. Uh, I I have I draw pictures sometimes for notes when I'm like I draw a picture of the stage and the positions of the improvisers during the exercise as like a way to help me remember. And still sometimes I don't understand yeah. what it means. I'm like, it really, two people sit on a box. Mm, what <laughs> do they do? How does that relate to bouncing? I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh... it really helps when like something happened while the exercise. So like if something went really wrong or there was a really funny joke or like there was something that happened, then I remember. So I've now started taking like sometimes examples of what happened in an exercise. Mm. So hopefully I yeah. will rem like my, it will help my memory better than trying to explain the exercise more like. Yeah. yeah. See, and I, I remember, I, I have moments that I remember from workshops I've taken where I was like, that was a really good moment me and Mike, you know, like Ramona from D Gorillas and I were in a scene. I still remember the scene, but I don't remember why we were doing the scene. Like I can't remember what the point of it was or what the exercise was. There was some kind of cards involved, but the scene was so great. And I have fond memories of that moment, but I have no idea why or what we were doing it for. It was yes. just a great. 
Yeah. But I think like re re reviewing exercises is also a great way to repurpose them. Like I love using the same exercise in different, like with a slight different angle to, mm -hmm. to bring a different um, a thing, which is one of the reasons why I love taking workshops on topics. I consider myself already a specialist mm -hmm. just to like to, to have slightly a different angle on the same things or like a new view or just if the person has a different background, which happens with everyone, um, they will have like a different take out of it or, or whatever. It's like, yeah, I really like that. I really enjoy rediscovering things that my brain thinks they know. Yeah. 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 yeah and that's something you were talking about too earlier, Laura, about uh, when you give people an exercise and they take it back to their group and they teach it and it doesn't work and they can't figure out why it's not working. Uh, that's one of those things with me where I'm always like, what's the purpose of teaching the workshop or the exercise? Why are you using that exercise? Because you can use the same exercise to accomplish many different purposes. Mm. Like you can use Zoom as, I, I love this game, by the way, everybody. We're going to play <laughs> later and it's, I'm going to crush you all. I'm, gonna, I'm a competitive Zoom player. No, um, but you can use Zoom as like a impulse, like getting your, your being aware and listening and focused. But you can also use it as just like a silly energy warm up to get people moving their bodies. Uh, mm -hmm. It depends on which way you want to push it. And I feel like people who teach exercises without understanding why they're teaching the exercise, it's just like, it's like, well, it, it just happens. And then you end up with that, you know, counting to 20 where everyone just closes their eyes and just shouts numbers and hopefully gets to 20. And you're like, what was the point of that? What were we doing? Why, what are we learning from this? That's, um, I'm teaching people to be improv teachers um, in an online course. And one of the things that kept coming back was that many aspiring improv teachers, they just want more exercises. And, and every time I heard that, I became a little bit like, oh, that's not, that's not the point. Um, but I also, for a while, didn't figure out, like, why, why is that need so strong? And why do I really don't want to give it to them? Like, I'm sure yeah. if I would, instead of a, a video course for improv teachers, would, like, make a book with 100 exercises, that might actually sell better. And yeah. I'm like, well, but I don't believe in it. I'm not just going to make something because it sells better. Well, and then... Yeah, you just got to make so there's zoom, but then there's also plop, which is where you all stand in a circle and you say plop at each other and you pass the plop around the circle. But then there's also my favorite, which is baboom, baboom, where you do the same thing, except you're saying baboom, baboom. Um, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Yeah, but, and uh, then a hundred versions of that. Yeah, <laughs> but I did. I do this sometimes in classes where I'm like, uh, I'm like, all right, we need a warm up uh, quick. Someone give me a word. And then they give a word. And then we just pass that word around the circle. <laughs> and then slowly build it into its own version of whoosh, whoa, uh, whatever, whatever your versions of whoosh, whoa yeah. are. There's like an infinite number of possibilities in that game now. But where you patch a whoosh and you whoa and you ramp and you what, what, volcano or whatever you're doing. And we just build our own version of that game based on whatever word someone says. So like one of yeah. our favorites is bellhop where you say ding and it goes around the circle and then you can say like lazy susan and everyone has to turn around and you can say like housekeeping and it sends it back the other way and you just do like these you just make up different words and it makes people feel like they're doing a totally different exercise and they <laughs> built it and they have the fun of discovering and creating this new thing uh, I highly recommend it if you're one of those improv teachers that's always looking for new exercises. Just change the words around, man. People yeah. people love it. Yeah, yeah. I think like, I. Oh, oh, sorry, Laura, go. 
I just want to like reiterate what you said before, like know why you do something. Like yeah. you don't need a hundred exercises. Like if you know your goal, you can like adapt many exercises to that goal. Yeah, it's like and I think there's an up, people just keep getting up and doing scenes. I want another exercise of doing scenes. It's like, what do you yeah. just get them to do more scenes and make them better? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go, Jay. That's all right. I think that uh, Gail hit onto something before is like, take the things you know, but to some extent, in some workshops, it's a bit of an experiment as well. Like, as the improv teacher, you're like, well, I know this works, and now I want to try this on top of it. And sometimes I'll literally say to the course that I'm teaching, I'm going to try something here. Let's see if it works. Um, but, but, uh, and I'll, I'll be upfront about it, but there's that level of kind of uh, merging two things or putting something on top of, uh, or, or creating something out of your own intent with the yep. things that are already there that turns them, them into something else as well. Mm-hmm. I think that like, like that connects to how you build a workshop. I deeply believe into first defining what you want to achieve and and then putting like either finding exercises or finding ways to lead there and it's more about bringing the people in the headspace that you want them to be than Mm -hmm. than like oh i have this uh (laughs) zoom game and uh sorry sorry this this plop game and uh and i absolutely want it in a workshop and though i'm gonna see what like what i do after that um, yeah, like don't choose your favorite warm up for a workshop. I'm just going to do this one warm up that I love. And yeah. said, choose the warm up that works for that workshop, right? That, yeah. That's going to yeah. push people in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Like, remember that zombie game? Uh, we played it in Amsterdam together, I think, uh, Laura, Jason, and I, where one person's a zombie and they're walking towards you and you have to say somebody's name and the zombie yeah. goes towards them, right? That, like, and like that, that, or you look at the person, they have to say the name. Uh, you know the game, but uh, we played that for our zombie show because we did a zombie show a few years ago. And I was like, this is a good, like, get us into improvising, but also on theme and we can walk like zombies and it's a good practice. Uh, and then we started doing it more and more terrifyingly uh, until we turned off all the lights and only had flashlights so that we would shine to play the game. And then eventually I was like, all right, turn off the flashlights. And we did it in the dark. <laughs> With one person in the middle going like, heading towards somebody. And you could kind of see people with like the exit sign light. You could see if they're like gesturing at you and you could say somebody's name to save them. And it got so scary. And it was like, it really helped us get into the right frame of mind for the zombie show. Just by taking that exercise and then just kind of like, I'm going to tweak it a little bit. Let's see how far we can push it. And it was amazing. It worked great. Yeah. That was a, a great show. We had we had like a pit stop at the side of the stage where you could just go and get blood all over you. Like so, every time you exited, people would just get more and more blood yeah. <laughs> onto them. That you was would crazy. tell the the makeup artist like, "I'm in stage yeah. one. I'm in stage yeah. two. That's right. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. It was great. Now uh, another part of the feel free not to answer this, but another part of the question I asked you before uh, was, "What did you learn about each other from touring the world?" Yeah, how's your relationship? I'm just trying to... <laughs> I'm How happy we can doing? devote a podcast to this. You can uh, keep topic. it. You can you can go personally. You can keep it improv-y as yeah, well if improv-y. you like. <laughs> no, I, I think like, I mean, improv we discovered plenty, and it was the opportunity to play our show multiple times in plenty of different places with different musicians 
to circle back to what I said before. Just uh, um, let our listeners know what is your show? What, what is the show uh, that you Object taught? of Affection, it's called. So it's like the love story between two objects. So we pick uh, an object and their impossible love interests. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we'll pick a first object, like a cactus. And then uh, we had that show in Riga. Uh, and the, the love interest of the cactus was a balloon. Mm-hmm. And we play out uh, uh, oh. on a long form narrative the impossible so love story between the cactus and the balloon. So sad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's a very like good feel good show in overall, I think. But it definitely doesn't need to end well. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or it can be yeah. bittersweet, or it can be like we are also like in exploring exploring that. But on I think on a personal level. W- um, we discovered that we can still love each other even <laughs> when we need to like travel for four days, uh, yeah. sleeping in airports and figure out how the hell we're going to go back to Europe, <laughs> 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 which yeah. is a pretty, pretty nice uh, step stone. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there was one moment where I said, I hate everything except you. <laughs> and then feel like that was maybe the the high point of how I discovered that oh I can really hate everything <laughs> and still and that, like be that is, the, that is the Dutch equivalent of saying I love you I think is yes, to say, is. you don't say I love you you say I hate everything but you and it's like oh thanks that means you love me <laughs> there is a truth in there uh, <laughs> well that's lovely that you can still love each other uh, yeah. And do improv together. As someone who does improv with somebody I love, uh, I, I know the feeling. It's nice to travel with someone who is soft, I say. <laughs> someone that you can then lean on. Like, oh, traveling with is... myself is fine. <laughs> uh, Gail, you uh, do a very specific workshop that I haven't had the... Um, joy or privilege of taking it because anytime we're in the same place and it's happening I'm also teaching uh you do a Miyazaki workshop which is a very very specific kind of thing which is also uh animated and uh and dealing with magical realism which is something that I love uh I wrote a little book last year that is set in Melbourne and deals with uh, stories of magical realism. Um, and uh, I'll send you a copy soon. You can get it in the links of this podcast, but I'll send you an e-copy uh, uh, when we hang up. But um, I, I love magical realism. I know you do too. How do you go about teaching workshops? They're normally like weekend long or day long workshops uh, it, with something as specific as uh, animated magical realism. Um, I'm so glad you asked that because Missy will be listening to this podcast and she'll be so upset if we didn't ask that question because she wants to know too. Tell us, tell us, tell us more. Uh, I think like something I I say every time I teach uh, a workshop about Miyazaki is that what I'm teaching is my prism of the work of Miyazaki within his movies um, and its adaptation for the stage. Mm-hmm. So um, I think something that is important for any type of genre is to decide what you want to extract from it. What, what is the core of it? What is the essence that makes you vibrate for it? And what, what do you love you as a director in that genre? Um, and then try to, to, to analyze that 
at least the way I approach it is like, what do I feel when I watch a Miyazaki movie? And how can I make my audience feel the same thing? I'm not trying to reproduce exactly what is on screen, but I want to bring them in the same place I am when I watch a movie. Mm -hmm. And so with the magical realism, uh, uh, the, the, like the, the, the obstacle we have in improv is that we are on stage with a stage that is naked most of the time. We don't have set, we don't have costumes, but it's also the, the, the gift we have from improv is that if we succeed to bring the audience to get to imagine and project images on there, they can create crazy images like beautiful and and colorful and super rich and and so that's the the mo like that's the core of what i work with the students is to try to make them um create worlds and sceneries with enough information to guide the audience to to throw the audience in a direction and let them fill in the blank let them in their mind uh, uh fill that world with all the magical thing that we've been hinting and describing. And um, so I use in the format I use a lot or in the, in the workshop, which ends up often by a show, I use a lot of music, a lot of silence, physicality, a lot of narration, description and stuff. Um, and, and I focus mostly on, on the core elements of what's, what the Miyazaki genre has, which is like this magical realism, um, trying to bring poetry in the improv we do, uh, trying to have characters that are non-stereotypical and non-binary, uh, uh, and and to to give them as many tools as possible, and them and then let them play basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I I think like it's it really shows every time I've taught that I've taught that workshop now dozens and dozens of time and every time my students are creating a new world in the workshop it is different i never had twice the same and it's like mm -hmm. and i find that so inspiring because the like one of like the other um, practical core that i do is that i use a lot of co-creation so they 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 don't create the world on their own they have to collaborate and they have to to work together and to understand each other and to complement each other. And um, and when I teach a full week with a show at the end, for instance, on the second day they start working with the the subgroup they will perform with mm -hmm. to start like understanding the rhythm of each other and the mind of each other and what it means, etc. To to connect better. And the worlds that are created are just beautiful and and crazy. Uh, and on the last shows we've played in Amsterdam, I had um, uh, Ashley Moore, who is an improviser in Amsterdam yes. also, and uh, is doing a lot of watercolor. And I invited him on the show to do a watercolor scenery off the show. Uh, beautiful. Because I wanted to have like, because it is a very visual show and, and it's like, and the two watercolors he made for, out of the two shows are, are magical. They're beautiful. And, and, and they are so fitting the show and so different from the images I had in my mind. Oh, mm -hmm. for me, they were spot on. Like he, ah, he painted, so I was part of that show. I played in that show and the, the image he made for the show I played in, I was like, exactly. 
That's exactly how it looks. That's like. what I was thinking. That was it. Yeah. yeah. And I, like, I, I tend to say that to like the, the students to be like, in improv, sometimes we, we lose sight of the fact that uh, efficiency um, or like precision will lead us to tell one story. But if we leave room for imagination, it doesn't mean being like blurry or, or un mm -hmm. undecisive. But like if we leave room to imagination, if we have 100 people in the crowd, we will tell 100 stories instead of telling one. Uh, yeah. Because everyone will project the best version of that story to what they saw. And it's, it's such a good way to make, to make people happy. And it really connects to the core of, I mean, I've done a lot of research on Miyazaki and his philosophy and how he works. Um, and something he says is that radio plays, he finds radio plays very interesting because they let people project the images that fit exactly what they want which is why reading is so great also when you, when you mm -hmm. don't have the images, which is a good paradox for someone that produces images <laughs> for, for a living. But, um, but yeah. I, I really love about that philosophy that you have a, um, you're, you're understanding, you're breaking down a genre. And I think this is great. We've spoken about genre heaps on this show, but you're, you're breaking down a genre to the point where you can invite the audience to be part of the, part of the, the tale part of the process where you're showing them that you understand the genre so much that they can invest in it and trust you with it you're not trying to ram it down their throat or grandstand and say hey look how much we know about this genre look how we're doing this and like just like ramming it uh, off the stage i think that's really really important that that you if you put it up there with confidence and and keep the audience in mind and what they're going to invest into the story you can really in, invite them to be a part of it that's great uh yeah i just wanted to jump on how much i love the 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 mention of reading and yeah. radio plays and how they connect to improv because I, I i talk about that a lot that improv is more it's more akin to literature than it is to film but we often think of it more like film and it's like you're watching a thing but because it's such an interactive like the audience must is required to imagine with you when you're improvising it is more like a book mm -hmm. or a radio play like where you have to picture it in your head as opposed to the movie which is like hey look at all this stuff that's happening boom boom explosions yeah you get to picture the explosions you get to picture the boom boom <laughs> <laughs> Another That's matter. Dave's new website. Picture the boom boom. Picture the boom boom. It's actually a format I play. So uh, the first person says picture, the next one says boom, and the third person says boom, and it's picture boom boom, picture boom boom. Yeah, it makes me wonder if, and that would be a question to either one of you, if there is this moment in improv where you first think, oh, I'm gonna like try to send it and push it, and like this is what I want to do. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? And then this moment where you're like, hold on, did you have that? Yes, is the short answer. And it was the moment that I 100% I changed the way I improvised. Very early on, very, uh, uh, very uh, overt in trying to uh, both get the approval and make the audience like me, make sure that everything was, was happening. So very trying to hit the back wall of the theater so to speak you know lots of lots of bravado lots of gusto uh and 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 a good energy on stage but the moment i realized that 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 wasn't my job the job was for me to create a safe space to 
uh, invite the audience into, the way I played completely changed. It slowed down. I noticed more. Um, I was more playful. It put me into a safer space. We were speaking about before the the way that I could play because I, I immediately I realized that I was worried about the impression I was making. So I was in my head the whole time, even though I thought I was improvising well, but I was in my head the whole time pushing out going, am I doing this? Am I doing that? And so even if it's just subconsciously like that, and now the focus is 100, the poles have shifted 100% on that. Um, it's all about creating a space that mm-hmm. is so competent that the audience want to join us. And I think it was something that Randy said, uh, Randy Dixon said uh, a long while ago that uh, had me make that shift, I think. You're going to say the thing. Yeah, I've said it before. You want me to say it? Laura has heard you say it. it. Randy Randy, uh, said a a thing in a workshop that all we've got to do is we've got to make a really competent U-shape, right? Like a pot or a bowl. Yeah. And if we can make that U shape as, as, uh, as inviting and confident as we can, then the real success is when the audience close the circle, they become the lid. And so if you, that changed the focus of, of how I work, I just wanted to make really great stuff. And, and the success is when the audience join. So sometimes that'll happen in the first five minutes. Sometimes it'll happen in the last five minutes of the show, but I'm not going to spend the previous 55 minutes going, Oh fuck, I've got to win these guys over now. Uh, I'm just (laughs) spending that time dialing in and 98% of the time it'll happen. They're 2% of the time. They're not going to join you for that show there's always next time you know but uh that that was a real real shift for me that that was probably the biggest shift i made in in the um aren't aren't you glad i made him yeah yeah thank you isn't that a great image frank yeah (laughs) you're welcome i go out of my way to help you guys uh yeah i mean my 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 i've told my story on this podcast too but i'm gonna say it again uh because i made you say it's like i have to say is uh i was doing a uh, my probably one of my first ever heralds and uh, Alistair Cook, my uh, improv mentor of mine. Uh, I'd just come out of the Canadian improv games. Like I was like a few years out of high school. And in the Canadian improv games, there's this thing where they judge you. It's like a scorecard. Like you get judged uh, based on use of suggestion. Like how well are you using the suggestion? And it took him in the middle of a herald stopping and be like, stop, Dave, Dave, there's nobody in the audience judging you on how well you're using the suggestion right now. And it was this moment of like, oh, I don't have to like prove to the audience that I'm improvising this and that look how good and clever I am and how well I can take what you gave me and turn it into something amazing. I just have to improvise and you're going to, you're going to see it in this. You're going to see your suggestion in this show. Uh, And that was kind of the moment that where where it turned for me. Mm -hmm. I think um, I, so I started improv through the match which is a competitive short form mm-hmm. uh, format um, that is probably flaring up more competition than uh, theater sports because of the, the way it's shaped. The audience votes for one team or the other at the end of the scene and the scenes can be played with both team on the same scene, but the audience still votes for one player or the other. Um, and I was not great at that. Like my <laughs> one of my first... Uh, uh, year-long feedback from my from my teacher was like he was giving a brand slogan to everyone uh like one uh colleague of mine got like the slogan of pirelli 
without control, uh, power is nothing. Uh, <laughs> and it was like about how he is a great improviser, but he's also all over the place and steamrolling everyone. And, um, and I was uh, Bosch. The solid brand is, uh, is uh, like reliable, but a little boring. Um, and that was harsh. <laughs> now I see uh, why you were talking about kindness before. <laughs> that yeah. was such an important realization. Um, no, but like that was that was a harsh moment, and and I didn't realize anything through that. But um, that same year, I started playing with another group um, because I was they were looking for a player that was able to do improv juggling and music and i was uh, uh doing yeah dave but you were a little you were a little and far i wasn't there so yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh and so like they invited me even if i was um fairly beginner in improv and um they were all um more experienced players and it was the whole company was very um more narrative long form experimental improv oriented and and i think that like that's the moment I realized that me not being good at match didn't mean that I was not good in improv. That's like, yeah. and that's the moment that in match, I also tried to, I also at least slowed down. <laughs> it took me another year or year and a half before actually stopping. Uh, tried to, I stopped trying to play the game of the match and I started playing the, my improv what resonates with me who i am and that was very different from the other players <laughs> it was very different from um what the match is um bringing or the style or the like the the impactness of the match and the effect it had was that i was actually better at match because suddenly i was myself on stage and and i think that mm -hmm. was a, a very nice that's the moment i stopped being reliable but a little boring I think <laughs> no more Bosch for you. Now, now you're no, a no, more Bosch. More Bosch. More, more Bosch. Bosch. More Bosch. More Bosch. Yeah, I'm fine. Kai I'm Bosch. fine with Bosch. Sure. You think I'm Bosch? <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. This is my Bosch. Yeah. My Bosch. I think my my moment was um, uh, I played uh, one of so my very first duo I was ever in was Donna Urso um, from. Uh, Romania and Belgium and she mm -hmm. invited me to do a duo which definitely was one of those like wait me are you sure are you not like no. is it not sent to the wrong person but sure I'll show up and then one of the shows we played I think it was only like our third show or so was in Lyon and there was and there was I really think uh, I, I came off stage thinking like that was not good and someone came up to me and said like that was the best show I've ever seen and then I discussed with them how it was not. <laughs> so I, I started convincing them. I was like, no, no, no. And then I was like, I was trying to, like, I was explaining them how other shows were, like, other performances of our duo was, were better. How even, like, which other duos they should go and watch. Because, <laughs> and, and I came out of, and I, I even remember, like, the guy who said that to me and, Later, I really because he was like he was all like radiating and happy and telling me it was the best show I've ever seen, and I completely crushed his spirit <laughs> in that conversation. <laughs> and and seeing it on his face, I realized like I'm I'm such an asshole. Like how dare I do that? I just took away his best show 
it's yeah. the show is not happening here with me as the sender the show is happening there with them they he had the best show he had ever seen how dare i take it away from him so uh yeah that i learned that one the hard way by by seeing myself doing such an evil <laughs> mean <laughs> thing but uh yeah it was a good lesson beautiful well we're we're coming to the end of our time uh we have a standard question that we finish the podcast with so uh i'm gonna throw you over to dave he's gonna ask it and uh where we go as we get close to one in the morning over here in victoria british columbia um uh, I could go all night, by the way, with this. This is great. This is <laughs> yeah, this totally absolutely lovely. One of our goals has always been to make this feel like a late night festival talk. And uh, the fact that it's actually late here, I'm like, I do feel like I'm at a late night festival <laughs> talk. There's only one thing missing. I'll let you imagine what that one thing is. It's different for everybody, but uh, you know, a little beer, a little whatever. Uh, but uh, the final question we like to end with is if you could snap your fingers, magic wand, or make a wish. And give everybody in the world one skill that improvisers possess that make us that that only that not mean only but you know that improvisers have that would make the world a better place. What skill would you want everybody else to have? Just like the whole world, all of a sudden, can play Zoom like a master. Is that the skill? Is that the skill you'd want them to possess? What what's something you think that I think improvisers are good yeah. at? <laughs> plop, yeah, plop. Sorry, plop. trademark, trademark, Dave Moore. I think uh, the fact that we are trained to make mistakes makes us compassionate towards ourselves and towards others. And like different people have different levels of compassion for that. Uh, But I think that's, man, like that makes all the difference. That made all the difference in my life. And uh, I would love to see more of that in the world. Because I think compassion, even if it's just compassion for ourselves, I'm happy with that too. <laughs> like that would make us all less tense and angry and and also like sticking to the things out of pride i would mm-hmm. i think that would make the world truly better mm-hmm. i think i would say i would go for like the ability to see people to really see people um i i remember realizing that and and sometimes we forget it because we're excited and and there is the ego going in and, but in general, improvisers are good at noticing who is there, what are these people, are they wanting to to intervene, to talk, to be part of it, and like are are taking care of that. Uh, I realized that for the first time when I uh, I used to uh, do my PhD in in a research lab with an amazing research team, and um, and that PhD stopped because of our government fundings and stuff. And uh, then I had a break of like, I think I, I was unemployed for like four months, something like that. And, I, uh, and that was a time I was doing already a lot of improv. Um, and after these four months, I started working in a new company, like a private lab. And, um, and I remember the f- very first lunch break, we were like, 12 13 around the table it was still like very the very beginning of that company and we were all eating at the same big uh, conference room table because we didn't have any break room yet um and and for the first time i realized what it was being back with muggles with normal people <laughs> because there was this guy that the whole like 40 minutes of break wanted to say something and no one let him talk 
And he was like, he had all the physical signs of someone that want to say something. And he was like, <laughs> but like, it was like, it was, a, it was like a, a comedy almost. Like it was so intense the way he wanted to intervene and he wanted to participate. And because he was the odd one of the group or he was the one that arrived late. I didn't know it was my first day or he was like, just just the weird one or he didn't know personally someone uh he spent 40 minutes trying to be part of it and not being <laughs> part of it and and that that really like i really felt oh the improv community has plenty of things to work on but also things that are really really good and that's part of it i think wow that's beautiful yeah that's well, great okay je Je te vois. Merci. Je te vois aussi, Dave. Et Jason, on te voit. Ah, je vous vois. Oui, on te voit. <laughs> I love you guys. It's so good to see your faces. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's yeah, it's been an absolute joy. Thanks for getting up early. Yeah, and, thanks and for getting up so early. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this... I feel like a diva now. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Next time I'll get up at eight thirty, and I'll we'll do it at eight thirty my time, and you just have to stay up until like two thirty or whatever. Yeah. Uh, as always, I can't wait till our paths cross again sometime. But uh, this has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Merci, merci, Donkey Bell. Yeah. Love you guys. <laughs> I'm so people tell you when they stop.